Okay. So Luke chapter 5. The podcast doesn't have to know we just recorded. (laughs) Except that I gave it away. Luke 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So right off the bat, right just off the bat, there's some really interesting things happening. Uh, the first off is, who here has ever had to stay up all night for any type of endeavor, whether it be like an exam or work? Who's pulled an all-nighter? Anyone? Most people. What is the thing you want to do after pulling an all-nighter? Sleep. Sleep, right? Like I remember, it, I used to work the third shift at UPS, and so during the holidays. Like the amount of Amazon boxes is just absolutely horrendous because everyone is shipping things prime. People are like, oh, you know what? I really need an Apple Watch tomorrow. So it's prime. So there's just like the amount of packages. On average, I would like load two freight train, like two, what is the word I'm looking for? Two giant trucks worth of packages every night. Like it was like about 2,000 packages. I was so fast. Like I really enjoyed it in one aspect. But I remember like I would get off work at 5 a.m. and me and my roommate, we had this tradition. We'd go to Waffle House and we would eat an unbelievable amount of food because we'd burn so many calories. It was like three waffles, like four scrambled eggs, as much bacon. We're just like, keep the bacon coming, you know? Uh, And then we would just, we called it a food coma. We'd go home and then just sleep until whenever we woke up. And it was always the best sleep. We're just so exhausted and so full. And so in this story, right off the bat, it says that Peter has been up all night fishing. It's not just that they've been up all night fishing, but what does it say has happened? What has their work produced? Nothing. They have worked all night and they have nothing to show for it. And then the audacity of this man who commandeers the boat. This is the scene in the movie where someone's like, I need to take your car. Like, I need to borrow your car. Like, get out or drive me somewhere. But I'm, I'm commandeering. He gets in the boat and then after he's done, he goes, okay, now I want you to fish a little bit more. I want you to go out into deep water. And we read this, we're just like, well, it's Jesus. So obviously you're just like, yeah, okay, sure. Like I'll go out onto deep water. But like, we have to understand like Peter was a person. Like, and I like that Peter shows some of the resistance. Like he kind of explains to Jesus. He goes, we've been at this all night. I just, I just want you to know there's no fish in this ocean. They're all, they're all gone. They have migrated onto land. They've moved away, whatever it is. They're on vacation, but there's no fish. And Jesus is like, just... Just go into deeper water. And that phrase really struck me. And I think for twofold reasons. Um, the first one is, I remember I dated this girl right after college. And I, I love to talk about deep philosophical things. I think I've mentioned this before. I hate small talk. So I don't like talking about, like, how's the weather? Like, I'm immediately going to be like, what do you think the meaning of life is? And so a lot of times this, like, drives people away from me. They're like, all right, let's... Uh, Let's just go talk about something else. Uh, let's go somewhere else. But I just, I want to talk about things that matter, things that are deep. So I was dating this girl, and I remember, like, I kept trying to talk to her about things that are important to me, things that matter. And she said, hey, why don't we just stay in the shallows? It's a lot more fun. And I remember thinking, like, wait, what? Like, you want to just always stay in, like, the three feet deep water, like, splash about like a toddler? 
And, I, and then I started thinking about this idea of like snorkeling, of like, if you've ever gone like deep sea diving, the coral reefs are beautiful. Like the wildlife is incredible, the things that you get to see, but you can't go there unless you go deep, unless you go far. And the other thing I thought was, he called Peter away from all the crowds. Sometimes when you're with people, what you desperately want is like just their attention, just their like one-on-one -on -one presence. And I've noticed this a lot with like cell phones now, like you're having coffee with somebody, you're having lunch with somebody, but you're also having coffee with them and like everyone they're connected to. You know, because like the moment their phone goes off, they like look at it. Because now it's like you interacting with that person and the entire universe of people on the internet. It's not like you and that person anymore. Like you've now invited other people into the conversation. And Jesus is pulling Peter away from all of that. He says, I want you and I to have an interaction. I want you and I to have an experience away from all of these people. And I was thinking about this idea, especially with the monomyth. And I wanted to see what you guys thought. But if you could think of like one characteristic that personifies like the villain in a movie, what would it be? If you could think of one characteristic where like this, I mean, obviously you could be like, well, they kill a lot of people. But like one characteristic or maybe a tribute that like all bad guys have in common, what do you think it would be? Prideful. Prideful? Yeah, that's a really good one. They usually think that they are the best. Like that's part of their, their downfall is that they think they are like beyond being hurt, beyond... Yeah, I love that in The Incredibles, how the, I can't think of the bad guy's name, but he's like, you caught me monologuing, you know, he's like, he thinks he's got him captured, and then he starts like going on about how great he is, and he almost escapes, and yeah, so there's that part of like, they like kind of boast over. Any other thoughts? They're not connected to their own humanity or anybody else's. They don't care. Like, life doesn't matter. Uh... I don't know if you've seen the new Guardians of the Galaxy, but that's pretty much like the bad guy in it. Like he's like, I'm the only person. Like his name, the bad guy's name is Ego. Like it's so great. His name's Ego and he only cares about himself to the extent, like to the demise of the whole universe. Yeah. Any other thoughts about what makes the villain bad? Past experience. Past experience. There's something traumatic that happens in the past and they can't get over that or forgive and so they come back. I think that's a, a brilliant point because you could even argue like both the hero and villain in one way go through a horrible experience and the hero decides to do something good from that. Like uh, Henry Nowen calls it a, a wounded healer. So you use your wounds to become more compassionate, more empathetic. The bad guy uses these wounds to then hurt other people. So like this is what I went through. I'll like take it out on other people. Those are all really good. Any other thoughts? Yeah. So like that kind of deal. So like Magneto and um, the professor have like the same kind of stuff happening to them, but then like Magneto has this like totalitarian mindset of like, well, I'm just gonna control everything and like everything is gonna fall onto me because. 
Yeah, and I, that's a really, I love that example too, because you both see them like trying to figure out a way to make peace with each other, and they're both, but they're both going very different ways. Like Magneto has like the very militant, and Professor X is like, what if we, what if we pursued peace? Like, what if we could like coexist together? And um, so it's really interesting. I think those are all right. I'm not. I hope you know when I'm asking a question, I'm not looking for the right answer. I'm just looking for conversation for us to. I think those are all great. One of the things I thought of was was this was like. The bad guys have no friends. Have you ever noticed that? Like, they don't actually have a friend. You don't see Darth Vader. He's like, "Hey, do you want to get coffee at Starbucks?" Like, after we kill Luke. Like, that doesn't occur. Like, that's yeah. Like that always happens. Like the bad guy. Like you think. Like I was uh, reading this book. It was really interesting. Uh, it's from the movie I Caligula, and you know Caligula was this horrible emperor. And uh, there's a point where Caligula got very sick. And one of Caligula's like servants was like to pray to the gods. Was like, if you spare him, I'll, I'll offer my life. And then Caligula got better, and Caligula like bumps into this guy a little bit later, and he was like, hey, I heard what you said when I was on my deathbed. I really appreciate it. Um, but one problem, like, why are we both still here? And it's just kind of like, ooh, like Caligula's like, you're gone, you know? Like, like you're like, that's not what like friends do. Friends are like, you know, what? don't worry about it. Like, I'm sure that they're like. Yeah, it's so true. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no friendship. That was like the best illustration of that Star Wars scene too. We all knew exactly what you were talking about. It was perfect. <laughs> but yeah, so like they don't. And I was thinking about this. Like, in some way, you could look at like truly evil people are people that are completely alone. They're completely isolated from everybody else. Like they have no friends. Like, and they continually withdraw. And I was thinking about you know the classes called like. Jesus, Walter White, Ferris Bueller, and I could, and I just realized, like, not intentionally, but like, if you took Breaking Bad and Walter White, and then like Chuck supposed it with Ferris Bueller, they're like the complete opposites. We have Walter White like continually leaving his humanity, like con- like continually disconnecting from life, reality, from friends, and Ferris, who's like all about friendship, all about making these connections, like all about becoming friends. Like, you have to have this like togetherness. Like, you have to pull it close. And I was reading this really cool. As I was preparing for class this week, I was, I'd heard this parable once of Abraham Lincoln. And I couldn't verify it as I was trying to, to study it, but I still think it's a great story. And apparently Lincoln, Lincoln was known for pardoning lots and lots of people throughout his presidency. Um, in fact, one of uh, his cabinet members said that Lincoln was a poor hater. He just was bad at it. He was bad at hating people. And I was thinking today when I read that, I was like, man, that, I would love that adjective to be assigned to me. Like, what do you know him as? He's bad at hating people. He's quick to forgive. He's quick to be kind. But there's this parable of Lincoln, and apparently when you, uh, when you were seeking to be pardoned, you would have a letter of recommendation from your friend along with your letter. So as Lincoln was going through these letters, he got to one, and there was no letter from a friend. So he called on his secretary. He said, excuse me, where is this man's letter of recommendation? And the lady says, oh, this man, he has no friends. And Lincoln looked at him and said, then I shall be his friend and pardoned him. And like I said, I don't know if that story is true. I don't know if it's just like a feel-good parable. But I love that idea of saying, this person has no friends. Like, I will then step up and be this person's friend. Like, I will then move forward. So as we move back on to Luke chapter 5. So Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So there's one other interesting thing I have about this. I want to talk to you guys about like snorkels. So if you've ever been like snorkeling or we mentioned like deep sea diving, the way like a snorkel works in the most like basic way is like you breathe in through it and then you also have to breathe out through it. Like it's two ways. If you only breathe in, eventually like you'll asphyxiate, you'll die. Like think about it even without snorkels. If your life only comprised of breathing in, you would suffocate very quickly. If your life only comprised of breathing out, you would suffocate very quickly. It's like a give and a take, a give and receive. And sometimes it is so much easier to give because there's a sense of control attached to it. When you're the one giving, when you're the one showing love, it's just easier because you have this sense of kind of power. When you're the one receiving, so often I feel this way, there's immediately this realizing of inadequacy that I didn't deserve this. One of my favorite writers, Richard Rohr, he says, God does not love you because you are good. God loves you because God is good. And I like that because it's such a paradigm shift because all of a sudden it takes all of the control out of the situation. It's not about anything that I'm doing. It's just about the goodness of God, which hopefully will inspire me to try to emulate and be more like God. And so with this passage, you see Peter, Peter upon realizing who he is interacting with, who he is dealing with. And Peter says like, I can't handle this friendship. I can't handle this love because what? What is Peter's defense? Why can't he? What does he immediately say? I'm a sinful man. Peter's like, uh, you have, it's that kind of sense of like, you have no idea where I've been. Like you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I said last night when the fish were not coming in, you know? Like these are the things, like he's like, no, like I can't. And this is always what happens. And this is where I think like, like I love the point. What is your name? I'm sorry, with the pearl? Charles. Charles, I love that point you made about like the hero and villain both maybe have the same situation and like how they respond from it. Because this is like what it boils down to with Peter is he has this moment where he can like decide to just reject, to not accept like this divine, generous gift. Like it's completely out of his control. Or he can just accept it and like say like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Like it's nothing from me. Like I just have to accept it regardless of who I am. And I was, as I was reading this story, I was reminded, I got to do a study abroad when I was a sophomore in high school and we got to go to Italy and at one point we were passing through uh, Switzerland and we had just completely run out of money. We hadn't budgeted correctly. And we realized that uh, we were going to have to stay in the train station. And this train station was actually outdoors, but it had this little six foot by six foot kind of like glass, like waiting area. And it was heated. So we were all just waiting for the, like, the last train to go. And then we were all just gonna like stretch out our sleeping bags and sleep in this little glass exposed box. And I was just sitting there, I remember I was reading Corinthians, I was reading the chapter on love because I was with these three other guys and we were just at that point where we've been traveling several days together and we just kind of hated each other. And I was like, remember what this is all about? Remember what this is all about? I'm sitting there reading. And then this lady looks up at me and she goes, excuse me, are you Canadian? And I looked up at her and I said, no. 
no, we're not. She said, okay. And I went back to reading. And I looked back up. I said, I'm sorry, wait, why did you ask if we're Canadian? She goes, well, you all look like lumberjacks. And then I like, looked at all of us, and we all had like thick beards from not shaving, and we all were wearing heavy flannel. And I was like, we do look like lumberjacks. Like, this is a true statement. And I was like, no, we're Americans. We're students. We're staying here. And she was like, oh, this is such a great town. It's so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, it is a great town, but we're staying here. When you get up, I'm jacking your seat and sleeping there. And then uh, she looked at me surprised and goes, like, why? And I was like, because we're out of money, we're broke, we're like, um, we mismanaged, we didn't account for things, so this is what we can afford, and then the next morning we'll catch our train out of here. She was like, oh, that's horrible. And I said, yeah. And then she just, like, ignored me and started talking to this other lady again. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, I guess cultures are a little different outside of the U.S. So I went back to reading, and then a couple minutes later she looked at me and she said, would you like to come stay in my house? And before I could, I just said, yeah, sure, absolutely. I don't know anything about you, and while it's probably dangerous, like, absolutely, I'd rather stay in your house. And she's like, okay, you come with my husband, we'll, like, get on this train, and we'll go to our house. And I was like, okay. And I was like, you know, it's me and these three other guys, right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So we get on the train, and we're, like, driving, and they're, like, we're exchanging names. And her name is Unta, and his name is Gunta. Like, this is a true story. I was like... <laughs> Come on, like you're pulling my leg. She was like, my name is Unta and this is Gunta. I said, like, and you'll stay in our house. And so we get to there and then to make it matters even worse, we get off the train and they have a smart car. That's their vehicle. And like, so they have to like shuttle us like one at a time. And somehow I drew the short straw and they're like, we'll take you to the house first. So we get to their house and it's like a two bedroom little apartment. And then I just start feeling like the guilt. And I was like, oh, we can't stay here. Like they don't even have space for us. And I'm sorry. He's like, He's like, go, like, bathe, shower. And he's like, and then you can get in our sauna. And I was like, like I love the Swedes. This is awesome. You know? And so, like, so I'm in the sauna. And it was just really comical. Like, I'm in the sauna. And then a couple months later, like, my buddy comes into the sauna. Like, we're just slowly, like, getting, like, shuttled into the sauna. And, and then we're all sitting in the sauna. And then, like, Gunte, this is the most, like, awkward and funny part. He, like, he opens the door. And he was like, why are you wearing clothes? And I was like, uh... I don't know how to explain this to you. He's like, you, you, you sauna in the nude. And I was like, not in the States, my man. <laughs> not here. Like, but then, so we, like, we get out and stuff, and I was like, okay, like, um, what are we going to do? And they're like, come upstairs. And we go upstairs, and it's a mansion. Like, it's a mansion in the Swiss Alps, like, overlooking this view of mountains. And I remember we all walk up, and, like, the first guy just, like, stops. We all kind of, like, collide into him like a cartoon. And we finally get past him. And it turns out, like, Gunta is an architect. He designed this house, like, one whole wall was just glass. And we're, like, looking out over the mountains, and I was just, like, blown away. And so then they make us dinner, and all dinner is is just, like, soup and dumplings, and we're starving. We eat it all. And I was like, man, I wish there was more. And then they bring us, like, five different kinds of hot dogs. And then after that, she baked us, like, baked us on the spot, like, three cakes and she asked if I wanted whipped cream, and I said, yeah, I think it was, like, ready whip. And she goes in the kitchen and makes whipped cream and, like, brings it out. And I was just, like, this overwhelming generosity. And I mean, it was like he, Gunta decided that he was our new godfather. And he started, like, giving us, like, money, too. He was like, here's, like, a 20 for you and a 20 for you tomorrow. And I was like, I don't know. And then I, I had, because it was in style at the time, I had one of those, like, Abercrombie and Fitch trucker hats that was like intentionally like frayed and kind of weather damaged and he saw my hat and thought that I that was the best hat I could afford and gave me a new hat so like, <laughs> I was like this is what's like okay thanks like um but I finally at this point I was like hey I've got to know like why like why did you do all of this why are you taking and he goes because I want you to go back to the states and tell people how generous 
we are in Switzerland, like how kind we are to foreigners. Like, and I was like, oh, believe me, I will preach the gospel of Switzerland for the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Like, and I just was blown away. And, but there's this point of we had nothing we could offer him. I was like, I have, I was like, I could give you like a shirt that's too small for you. Like I could give you like, and that we were trying to figure out. And I was like, can we, we were powerless. We were helpless. Like we couldn't do anything to deserve this generosity, this kindness. And this is what Peter experiences. And this is what so often we experience is the sense of powerless, the sense of lack of control when we're before like divine mercy and kindness. And so the idea about snorkels is you have to be willing to receive you have to also be willing to give and you have to enter that two-way channel because when, when it becomes like one or the other like i said like we drown we asphyxiate and that's what we see like right at the very end jesus said don't be afraid which is a common command in the bible like if you just want to have like a fun bible study read the bible and look at how many times the divine tells mankind to not be afraid it's just like a reoccurring statement like God shows up and people panic. And the very first words is like, God's like, don't be afraid. Okay, let's get over this. Let's get over the fear. And he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And they pulled the boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And there's like two final points I want to share with you that I thought were just so interesting as I was reading this. First off, he says, now this generosity, this compassion, this love, this friendship, this companionship, I want you to take it elsewhere. Demonstrate this, show this. This is for not on the boat. This is for out on land. This is for everyone you encounter. And the other thing I thought of, and it was so bizarre for me, Peter had spent the entire night toiling, trying to get this one thing. And then at the end of the story, they get it. In fact, it's the, like, the best catch they've ever had. This is like what Peter's livelihood was up until this point. And the moment they finally have the thing that Peter's always wanted, he walks away from it all. Have you ever experienced this, this? It happens to me so often with like some sort of like item or purchase. I get something, like I really want to have something, and I get this like item, and I'm like, this item will fulfill all my needs and desires. If I get this, I'll finally feel contentment. And then I get it, and for like maybe a week, I'm like, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't care about that thing anymore, and I need like another thing. And so uh, one of my favorite writers, he says, you only need more of what doesn't work. You only need more of what doesn't work. So that's like why I think the autoplay feature on Netflix is so powerful is because you're like, I could just a little bit more Netflix, you know, a little bit more Netflix, like a little bit more of whatever it is, a little bit more scrolling on Twitter, like a little bit more. For me, it's probably coffee, like it's just a little bit more coffee and I'm good. And then I get all clammy because I've had like eight cups by 8 a.m. Like, uh, <laughs> but there's like this idea of like Peter finally gets the thing that he's always wanted and realizes that what he wants is something else, something different, and that's something worth searching for. So we talked about last week, mystery is not that which is unknowable, but that which is infinitely knowable. So if you're a musician, if you start playing guitars, the scales can seem very basic, but then you start realizing you can do more and more with these scales. There's always a new chord or a new combination of chords. If you're writing or dancing or whatever it is, you're teaching, there's always something else to learn about a subject. Like you think you've got it nailed. The Jewish people believe that the scripture was like an 80-sided diamond. So you could just keep turning it and see like a different side of it every time. So every passage was completely different. There's a, an author I love, and uh, he has a book called Surely God Was Here and I Did Not Know It. And he, every chapter is a different interpretation of the same passage from the Bible. Like he has, I think, 10 chapters, and every time he's like, but now look at this, and now look at this, and now look at this. So as I said, we're going to close with a spiritual discipline. 
So I'm going to post on this uh, in just a second, but I guess I want to give you like a, a heads up about it. So sometimes I, I have trouble sleeping. It's probably because of all the coffee I've drinking throughout the day. Um, but sometimes I just lay awake at night and my, I just have a hard time turning my mind off. I don't know if you've ever been like this before, but you just start like thinking and thinking about things. And I came across this prayer and it's always stay with me. So I want you to feel free if you want to like write this down. It's, it's just two responses. Um, and we're going to kind of pray it today. So I'm going to pray this first part and give you a chance to just reflect and think on it. But there's a scene at the very end of uh, the first Amazing Spider-Man movie where like Peter Parker shows up late to class. And as he's walking in, the teacher says something really cool. She says that there are 10 types of story in the world. And then she says, but I'm here to tell you there's only one. Who am I? And I was watching Kung Fu Panda 3 with my daughter the other day, and the whole movie centers around Poe the panda discovering who he is. Um, I did not realize those movies were so quality until I started watching. I was like, this is a solid, solid movie. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, They're good movies. I really like them. I laughed and I teared up a little bit, and I was like, this is good stuff. But the whole movie circulates about Poe the panda trying to figure out, like, who he is, who am I? And so this first prayer is to start off with that. And this is something you can just, when I can't sleep, I'll just lay in bed and I'll just pray it over and over and over. And it's, here I am, Lord. Here you are, Lord. Here we are together. So it begins with this idea of of presence. So when you read Jacob's story, and he has a dream about the ladder, when he wakes up, he says that this, surely God was in this place, and I did not know it. So it's a way to recalibrate, to refocus, and to start off by saying, here I am. I'm right here. I'm nowhere else. These anxieties I'm thinking about in the future, they're elsewhere. These wounds I received from the past, they're elsewhere. And all that is, is right here in this moment. And God is also in this moment. And I'm having a hard time recognizing both those things, but maybe I can start practicing it. So I wanted to read this and just give you a couple minutes to just think about this. To pause right now, today, at this moment. Not tonight when we're in bed, but right now, in this moment. Here I am, Lord. Here you are, Lord. Here we are together. Hey guys, not yet. All right, the second part. Who am I, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Who are we together? This is a prayer that St. Francis would pray at night, asking himself over and over.
All right, everybody, be well this next coming week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Patrick, do you have announcements? Spider-Man, right? He's a Spider-Man. That's what I yeah. thought. So this is great. Movies. What? What is that? I, it's a 